Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Getting you ready for Flames Canucks round two tonight here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you. We're Hockey Central at noon. A jam-packed hour. We have Peter Labardius, Corey Sarich, and Brendan Batchelor. So a lot to get to in the next hour. Your texts always welcome at 960-960. But here to break down what we saw on Saturday and what we might see tonight is Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Labardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Hello, Mr. Labardius. How are you today, sir? I am outstanding. Good. Uh, easy to be after a, a pretty fun night that we had at the Dome on Saturday and getting ready for uh, another one tonight. Um, we were looking at the, the lineup and maybe some changes tonight, but uh, Jeff Ward going with the ever-popular, if it ain't broke, don't fix it method. Uh, and I would suggest that not a whole lot broke from that lineup the other night. No, I would suggest exactly the same. I didn't expect to see any changes as a result of what I would categorize as a pretty complete three nothing victory you'd start with an outstanding performance from Jacob Markstrom the Flames clearly won the battle on special teams but Peter you'll hear more from Jeff Ward coming up on our coaches show and our pregame show tonight Um, I was equally as interested on what Jeff liked about the rest of his team's game and he was quick to point out several things he, he liked their attention to detail away from the puck. We heard not only from him, but from Ray Edwards about their ability to defend in zone, their ability to track back in the neutral zone and have people above your opponents. Um, in looking back at the game, there were not a lot of very many, especially five-on-five, odd numbers situations coming back at them. And anytime you have that scenario you know that you're doing a lot of good things. Now, some might suggest that, you know, they'd like to create a little bit more five on five, but your ability to defend well and work from there and gain your opportunities coming out of the Winnipeg game, I think there were some terrific, terrific strides for the group in their team game and how they defended over the 60 minutes. And if there was something that happened to to get through the cracks defensively, Jacob Markstrom was outstanding in, in covering up any of that. Uh, two games in, the first one, the goal total probably a little higher than he would want, but I thought play-wise he was great. And then Saturday night, uh, tough to ask for much more from a goalie than, than what he gave. He, he's been, I think, excellent the first couple of nights. Well, he's been really good. And he was, when you consider, he talked about the fact after the game that he didn't even watch his old buddies in warm-up, and normally he might take two or three minutes to, to gaze and look at some shooters. He just he wanted to truly be focused on his own game and remove as much of the emotion as he possibly could away from what had to be a very emotional night. What more could you ask, Peter, in that kind of situation? He was just absolutely as solid as solid could be you know it wasn't a night because of the way the flames defended where he had a boatload of grade a's to deal with but he gave you everything and more that you would want from a number one type goalie he was like his team and he led the way quiet in the net use any adjective that you wanted just solid 
in great position in the way I thought best describes it. He looked completely in control from the drop of the puck till the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like, like it's always fun having the spectacular saves and he makes one in the first night, but that's because he got caught behind the net a little bit and then recovered fantastically. But there's no like spectacular. Oh my gosh. How did he make that save? Because he's just always in the right spot. He is always in the right spot and an area that you can look to as well is your ability to handle potential rebound situations. That's when you know a goalie is, you know, really having a good game. You've heard Jeff Ward talk not so much about goaltending, but just the game overall. It's about it's not what you take, it's what you leave. And and for goaltenders, Peter, that's very much, you know, a big part is you if you're putting pucks in the right place, if everything's hitting you, if you're not giving up any second and third shot opportunities, focus be great on the first shot you know it says a lot about your team's ability in front of you to box out and take away odd mans or how you defend the house area in your own zone but he was just so like i said so in control and he made the game look pretty easy and it's not an easy game there was one stretch where i thought he was clearly at his best and that not only in the one minute and 21 two-man advantage where he made a couple of gems, but if you reflect back, there was a five or six-minute stretch, I felt, for the Canucks at one to nothing in the second period where the ice started to tilt, and he was just outstanding in a stretch where I thought, had the Canucks been able to convert, could have very easily turned the game. And another aspect that you brought up that the the Flames had the advantage in, and, and that's special teams. And uh, the good thing is, for a game where you had the advantage on special teams, it took up a lot of the game the other night with uh, plenty of opportunities on either side. But to, to your point, again, um, the, the Flames, whether it be on the power play or the penalty kill, uh, really had the advantage, it felt like. Well, a huge advantage, and they set the tone. Where does the game go if you're unable to get through that two-man disadvantage for a minute 21 they only even allowed two shots during that stretch and what outstanding work by the pairing in particular of Tanev and Giordano who were out for about two and a half of that four minutes and Tanev tied a career high with eight blocks and I think I counted three of those eight from that particular stretch alone but the focal point for me as much as it's about penalty killing is on the power play in the summertime with Eric Gustafson quarterbacking, if you will, the number one unit, and let's not forget that even in the game Saturday, the number two unit scores a huge goal from Dylan Dubé to make it 2 nothing, and I thought the Flames were in control. But Gustafson, to me, gave the team a very different element, and now that responsibility has gone to Rasmus Anderson, who I think, you know, the more he grows into that role the better he's going to get. And there's a couple of things that I love about what Rasmus gives you. Gives you a different look right off the hop because he's a right-handed shot. And the majority of players who have run the Flames' power play from the top have been left-handed players. So that gives you a little different look, your ability to feed people in a certain way. You know, when you think about Sean Monaghan and that bumper in the high slot position, now it gives him a different look, and it's easier to feed right-handed shot to left-handed shot. But Rasmus gives you something, too. 
I've always loved whether I watched him in junior, whether I've talked to coaches about Rasmus, your ability to see the next play before you make it. That, to me, has always been one of his trademarks. And, Peter, you know what can open up things down low on a power play? Is your guy at the top's ability to threaten with his shot. And while we haven't necessarily seen a lot of that, a lot of their, you know, four goals, especially three from the number one unit, have come from some nice down low work, don't think that your ability to threaten from the top doesn't make a huge difference. Now, granted, in Washington, for just an example, you don't think John Carlson's ability to shoot the puck from back there doesn't potentially, now granted, you know, when you liken it to Washington, I'm not trying to make the comparison because they, they, to me, have the five perfect guys for the five perfect spots. But the threat of that, and Carlson's also a right-handed shot too, and, and so Rasmus, I think, has already done really, really well in that role. And here's Jeff Ward just on um, not only Rasmus, but just the familiarity of the groups on the power play. When you have a power play that's been together as long as ours has been really for, you know, a couple of years now, you know, they, they get a pretty good feel for each other. Really the only, uh, you know, new member that we had to put in was, was Raz up top. So there's still that little <clears throat> feeling out process, I think there, but uh, with the other guys, um, you know, it's, it's like riding a bike. Once they get back together on the ice, things just start to, to happen for them again. So um, you know, we've got a, we've got a lot of confidence in our power play. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a good power play for us the last couple of seasons and, you know, it's, uh, it's had a good start. So, um, you know, I think part of it is that familiarity. Chatting with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius here on Hockey Central at noon. We talk about familiarity and you hear Jeff Ward talking about it there. Uh, on the Vancouver side, Elias Pettersson's going to be a bit more familiar with his line mate tonight, as it sounds like JT Miller is uh, out of the, the COVID restrictions and into the lineup. That certainly changes the look of that top line, doesn't it? It not only changes the look of the top line, but it changes your whole group. So you start there and all of a sudden now you have... J.T. Miller, who is their leading scorer with 72 points, 27 goals, nine goals on the power play. Uh, that grouping looks a lot different. And with the energy, his ability to dig out pucks, give you everything. In fact, Peter, I would make this analogy. When, when I think about the role that J.T. Miller plays for the Canucks, I think a lot about the role that Elias Lindholm plays for the Flames. You know, you use him in every situation. He checks every single box. Um, he does it all. This guy plays with some bite. So you do that. Guess what else it helps? Now you have a very integral part of your number one power play. That changes things. And we haven't used it for a few days. But now, because of how you add him, how does the rest of your group slot up front? So for tonight, what it looks like is you'll see somebody like Nils Hoaglander, who I think has a chance to be a very exciting player. You'll find him with Horvat and Pearson. That gives you a different look. Now Vertanen moves down into probably a better spot for him with Gaudet and Antoine Roussel. So that's a big, heavy line with Gaudet who can get some things done 
in the middle. And as I suspected, you're not going to choose, you know, a bit of their shutdown group with Mott, Beagle, and Sutter. So it's one guy, right? But it changes their whole group. They slot better. Responsibilities are different. Improves your number one power play. He's going to play with a boatload of energy tonight. He'll be so excited. That's a big piece, Peter. That It's a really big piece and changes things for the Canucks and will have to, you know, change how the Flames go about their business in different areas as well. It'll make it a much more difficult test in game two of this little mini-series. As far as the, the Flames are concerned, uh, I would say they're pretty happy with four of the six periods they've played so far this NHL season, but maybe give us an area that the Flames would like to make some strides in. The strides, I would suggest, would just become in your ability to generate a little bit more five-on-five. Five. Now, that can be difficult to do, as it was, and you talked about it, Peter, right off the top. There was a, a large amount of the game played in specialty teams time with 10 total power plays combined between the two groups. So, you know, was that type of a night one that you'd really want to assess five on five? Not so much, but that would be just the one area. And you know, it's going to take some time because there's a lot of faces. You're looking for different fits, but you can't really assess the five-on-five five game necessarily the way you would like to until, you know, games settle into more of what I would say is a more standard maybe three power plays on each side for a total of six rather than nine or ten. But that's the first thing that comes to mind, the ability to continue to grow your groupings, experiment with them, and see if you can have more stretches where you are more dangerous five-on-five. And and I think that for this hockey team, because I see so many things that I like. I'm really liking, you know, the defensive group on this hockey team, feel as good about them in goal as you ever have. But there's still some experimentation and probably seeing where the five-on-five and generating chances will continue to come from. Because, as you know, Mr. Klein, a lot of teams in the Scotia North or Canadian division have the ability to uh, put you on your heels with some of their high-end people. Oh, absolutely. Like the, the, That's something we've noticed over this first week is that the high-end ability uh, of some of the players who play north of the border, this is going to be a, a real, real fun stretch. And because of that, you can't really, like we talked about the, the lineup changes, but you can't really focus too much on what happened the other night or whatever. Like it, it really has to be, all right, next game up. Because if you get caught flat-footed for five minutes, Elias Pettersson's going to pump three past you. Or Connor well, McDavid's going to do something wonderful. Like there's just so much you really have to focus on what's in front of you. Yesterday in the team's availability, and I want you to listen to this, and then, you know, I'll jump in at the end of it, because I think it's my biggest takeaway from the weekend. And in the new schedule that is very much mini playoff series-esque, is you're going to start playing some teams not only twice in a row, but sometimes three times in a row and four times in a row. You know, Peter, you're a massive baseball guy, 
you end up winning division titles because in series you win all the series or the majority of the series. So your ability, and unlike baseball, however, here's the difference. In baseball every day, you're seeing different pitchers. So that changes the scope. That's not the case in hockey. So now we're looking at your ability to park games, move on, and execute against the same scenarios without any secrets. But listen to Matthew Kachuk just talking about not only is it something that they have to do, but something that they need to get better at. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, you, you have to remember the things you did that uh, made you successful, but you also have to realize that it's a completely new game and they're going to adjust to it. So uh, we expect uh, um, them to come out with uh, a lot of jump, not being happy with the result uh, with the result last night. And I mean, it's up to us to uh, to not uh, think about that win for too long. We've already turned the page, and I think that's uh, gotten us in some some trouble the past couple of years. Is maybe after whether it's a win or loss, we tend to. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of being probably overly emotional both ways as well. Where uh, you know it's a little bit harder to turn the page, but I think this year as a as a group, the shortened schedule, we have to turn the page. We have to. We have no choice. I love those comments, and I, I mm-hmm. think it's something with this group that I've watched for a long time, and and I think we even saw it, didn't we, in the opening game of the season on Thursday night, where they could not have played a better first period they will probably play few periods much better than that opening 20 minutes to start the season in Winnipeg but whether it's shift to shift game to game period to period especially playing the same opponents you know night after night after night your ability to to truly get to the next level and keep your game at a very consistent place or up your game will be a deciding factor over the long run as to how successful you are. And so when Matthew said that yesterday about how this team, you know, what did he really say if you read between the lines, is that they probably have had a tendency in the past to dwell too much when it's bad and enjoy a little bit too much when it's good. And that's it's not easy. It's not easy to get away from those patterns. We all fall into those patterns. But consistency, and you know, Jeff Ward in his availability, not so much talking about his team, but I, I do think it's it's where people turn good into great, and that is we all like to work on things that we're good at. People generally that get great are people that work at the things equally as hard or harder on things that they're not as good at. Great place to leave this one off. We'll see if the Flames can uh, carry over a consistent effort against the Canucks tonight. Uh, 7 o'clock start means 6 o'clock warm-up. Lou, always fun. We will uh, break it all down tomorrow. Okay, guys. That's Thanks so much. Have a great day. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. As you could tell from the last 20 minutes, Peter Lubardius back on Hockey Central at noon. He'll be asked, uh, answering your questions 
on Fridays. If you want to enter Lou's mailbag, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tune in Fridays at noon to hear if your question was answered. If it was, you'll get a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris to use when they are open. Again, sportsnet.ca slash 960. You can get the question in. Uh, we already gave away one $100 gift card last week. We'll do it again coming up on Friday. Brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Calgary's best steakhouse located in the heart of downtown. Looking forward to celebrating with you again soon. Go Flames, go. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, Corey Sarich really liked what the Flames were able to put out over the weekend against the Canucks. Can they continue it tonight? We'll discuss that next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Weekend win over the Canucks and a game day against the Canucks. It is certainly a different time in the National Hockey League, uh, but we continue to follow along here on Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The fan, six o'clock warm up, seven o'clock puck drop tonight. It is the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks round two here to help us break down round one and maybe get ready for tonight's game. It is former Calgary Flame, among some others, Corey Sarich. Corey, how are you today, sir? Doing great. How are you, Peter? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Uh, much better performance to chat about from a, a Flames perspective than uh, the first game that we talked about uh, against Winnipeg. Uh, we were looking for what they brought in the first period throughout all three periods, and uh, certainly seemed like the, the Flames got the message, as that was one of those 60-minute efforts that uh, that you players like to talk about. Yeah, it was. I think I had mentioned uh, in my notes that it was one of the most well-rounded game I've seen the Flames play. Um, I know we don't have a lot to go off of just this season, but even into the bubble and then remembering and recalling from some of the games that I was covering in the previous season, um, they just got off to a fantastic start. They were doing the same things that they did in the first period against Winnipeg, driving the puck deep into the zone, um, not turning pucks over at the offensive blue line. They were utilizing the whole offensive zone as far as using the defender, using the defenseman to get shots, using the defenseman to alleviate pressure from the forwards, forwards getting to the net, defenseman getting their shots through. And they absolutely allowed Vancouver no time to move at the start of that game. And, and that's the key. I mean, you look at a small guy like Quinn Hughes, you let him skate up the ice all night, you're in big trouble. Uh, you look at um, <clears throat> a couple of the other defensemen that want to go back there, Tyler Myers. Um, you've got Schmidt back there as well. So the Flames did a great job of hemming them in, but then to continue on and to get it to progress through the second and third periods, well, that's that's a step in the right direction compared to that Winnipeg game. And it really does show when we talk about like finding the, the way to be successful, it, it really does show like it's, it's hard work. And uh, I can't imagine running into the boards 50 times a game feels awesome, but that, that really is a winning formula that the, the flames have kind of found where when they're doing that, it's working. Yes. And it wasn't, it's not like it was um, a crazy physical effort. They did get some good bodies thrown around by Matt Kachuk. He's there every night. You had Lucic doing his thing, Sam Bennett, um, throwing the body around as well. And even other guys stepping up with big plays like Mangiapane, a couple big blocks, Chris Tanev, he was there with a couple of large blocks. Um, and then it translates into other things too. Just hard work out in the ice translated to good back pressure from the Calgary Flames. Even when Cal Vancouver was able to exit their zone, they had no time. They had no chances to make outnumbered plays against the Flames defense because there were forwards coming back. 
And then once the Flames did end up with some time in their own zone, I was very impressed at how they played their positions. Um, it was it was a it was a nice tight box down low with the centermen supporting in the corners. Well, wingers weren't running out of position to do the centermen's job down in the corner. There wasn't a lot of switching. They just were very calm. They were very poised, and it led to easy breakouts. And then again, that sustained pressure at the other end. So it was it was a game involving all three zones, but the two major ones, offense and defense, very solid. And again, I. I might be a, a little slow to pay this team compliments, but they, they deserve them from that last effort. That, um, that, that calmness and the poise that, that you mentioned, that, that sounds like a lot of, like, everyone kind of has to be pulling the rope in the same direction. Um, with a couple of new guys in there, whether it be in the, the forward group, guys like Levo and, and Simone, or on the back end where you have Tanev, Valimaki, and Nesterov, um, all of them, uh, none of them were, were here for any part of last season. Is it tough to get that kind of continuity right away, or, or is that something that, that's easy to have when you have veterans like Tanev in there? It, well, Tanev, you know, it, he should add it right away. He's got years of experience, and mm-hmm. he's learned through a couple. He's been in the league long enough that he saw a bit of transition throughout the NHL to the game that it is now. So he might have even had a little bit more of that defensive scrappy play in his first couple years in his league, in the league. Um, a guy like Rasmus Anderson, he's got a couple years under his belt now. And looking really solid, right? Like he he's he's logged some good minutes, and his instincts on when to be offensive and then when to buckle down defensively has been great. And I've been very impressed with that new pairing of Nesterov and Valimaki. They're long rangey guys. They've been keeping it simple in their end. They've been physical. They've stopped the cycle, and then have had good sticks, and they've worked well together. Um, that along with Winger, wingers trusting the centerman to get the job done. And I, I, I complained about it a lot last year. The Flames had a tendency for their wingers to get drawn below the hash marks. And that's when problems occur. That's when other teams' points open up. Let your three guys, your two, your two defensemen and your centermen, do their job. Let them show some poise. Wingers, you pick up the high slot, look after your D-man. And again, I don't think this was the best Vancouver effort we've seen. I think they're going to have more pressure and they're going to have to be even better tonight, the Flames. But they did a good job with what they were up against last game. You mentioned uh, Vancouver may, maybe not at, at their best. Was there a couple of things that you noticed specifically? Like, oh, I, I thought they'd be better at, at X, Y, or Z. Well, they, they, the start of the game, the first half of the game, I just I was kind of disappointed with their lack of energy and their lack of effort. You know, they're a young team. Um, maybe that's part of their growing pains. But they, again, give credit to the Flames, what they did leaving their zone defensively and what they did offensively. They gave Vancouver no time. But it took Vancouver a long time to adjust until they got their power play going where they did have a few dangerous chances in the second period. That seemed to get them a little more momentum, and they were able to generate a little more, little more offense. But I just thought we'd see just an overall more of an attack from this team. They, they caught teams off guard last year. And again, it's the NHL, lots of games. Everyone has a night night off or you don't try to take a night off, but you have off nights. Sorry. That's better put that way. I just, what I saw towards the end of the game from Vancouver, more shots from all over the place, more traffic at the net, more urgency, more back pressure. That's what I expect from them right out of the gate.
Well, and uh, a big thing that, that you mentioned, as we chat with Corey Sarich here on Hockey Central at noon, uh, a big thing that you mentioned that's a big part of their offense is Quinn Hughes leading the rush, and he had one, I, I think, one rush where it was like, okay, watch out for this dude. And aside from that, they were able to, to keep him bottled in, and I guess that kind of goes back to that offensive zone pressure that you were talking about. Yeah, the Flames did a great job. They had great offensive pressure. They made Quinn Hughes go and play in his own corners where he doesn't want to be. And then they also handled him whenever he tried to take off, there were forwards smothering him. So they did a, a great job of that. Um, you let me know your, your thoughts here, Peter, as far as a second year guy in the league. Now people know what he's about. I feel it's going to be more difficult for Quinn Hughes this, this year. Lend me your opinion on that thought. Mm -hmm. No, I, I do as well. Um, now, I think he's good enough that he'll be able to to work around it. Um, but also, I think we've seen in, in two games, he's had a couple different partners already. Or in, in three games, sorry, he's had two different partners where he, he's had Hamannick for a little bit. He's had Tyler Myers for a little bit. Uh, I think you kind of need a, a little bit more of that consistency with him so that he knows like, okay, I'm going to take off now. You, you got back here. We're good. Um, but no, I, I do think like to, to your point, teams kind of understand what he's going to try to do offensively. And now, now it's interesting to see what his counterpunch is like how now that the rest of the league has kind of figured him out, what does he do to counter that? Cause it, it, it's one thing to just have your, all right, I'm just going to go. But when teams stop that, what's your plan B? Yeah, and it should be interesting tonight to see if the Flames can execute like they did uh, at the start and throughout that last game. Can they pin Hughes in his own end? Is that his kryptonite? If you're going to make him really defend, you know, you take away his energy early and you don't allow him to skate, is that a recipe for success against him? Mm -hmm. um, another uh, <clears throat> aspect of that game um, if you're looking to see how the Flames are going to handle special teams in the first couple of games, boy, you've had a lot of examples of it. It's just a parade to the penalty box on both sides last night. Um, but the, the key penalty kill, that five on three, and you can see Markstrom kind of already starting to earn that contract. Yeah, he, he, looked, he looked a little disheveled in the, in the second half of the game against the Jets. Not so much with the shots and opportunities, but just with his, old, his puck handling and, and everything. He looked like he was maybe doing a, trying to do a little less all over the ice um, in that game against Vancouver. And he just looked solid because of it. His positioning was great. Yeah, he got a little bit of help from um, the Canucks not fully capitalizing on their opportunities. But again, credit to the Flames. They didn't give many shots from in the slot. Most everything came from the outside, which gives your goaltender a chance to react. And again, he was most impressive on those on those penalty kills, he had to make some really tough saves, a uh, couple of low pad saves through traffic that he looked really solid on. And, and I mean, when you, you sign a guy of his caliber, those are the saves that you expect to come along with it. Uh, and last one for you, the, the penalties that the Flames had to kill off, a couple of them from Sam Bennett. And, and while it, it does kind of seem like there there is that energy that you want from him, and he was I, I liked him with that third line uh, Saturday night against the, the Canucks, but also two penalties, neither of them in the defensive zone, one in the O zone, one in the neutral zone. Um, th that has to be, I mean, frustrating from a coaching standpoint, but uh, what, what have you seen from Sam Bennett when it comes to those types of penalties? There's there's ones that can be excused, you know, when it's being physical. Um, yes, it's going to happen to everyone where you, you take a penalty in the offensive zone you probably shouldn't as a forward. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing for me now is 
how many games does Sam Bennett have under his belt? You know what? You got away with one in the first period. You can't have a second second penalty that game for basically the same type of thing. It's stick work. It's holding. It's clutching. It's grabbing. You know that you're going to be called. So I think just as far as maturity, time to mature. Sam, you've got to be a little smarter than that. And, and if you're not, then it's going to reflect in your ice time. Um, I heard Kelly Rudy talking about it, him and Cassie Campbell on the broadcast the other night, talking about, well, maybe he doesn't get as many penalties and he's more effective in the playoffs because they don't call as much. Well, as an as a NHL caliber player, you've got to be smart enough to figure that out. You do have to probably follow two different sets of rules, and you have to make those adjustments in your game during the course of the regular season. I know it stinks, but again, hey, go out and play hard. I do, do not take that away from you, but there, there's opportunities. Some, the odd time you do have to let the guy up the hook. You can't grab, put an extra hand on them. They get a step on you. You've got to make those quick decisions, and I think he's got enough experience now that we better see a cut down on those, uh, those bad types of penalties that he's prone to taking. Corey, this was fun again, man. Thanks for doing this. Looking forward to uh, to breaking down tonight's game with you tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I hope we're seeing a lot of the repeats from last game. And this, that was a good stepping stone for the Flames. So I, I hope they keep moving in the right direction. Yeah, hopefully we could just replay this conversation tomorrow and just be able to cut off the, the Bennett part of it. I think that'd be kind of a, a best-case scenario from a Flames perspective. That would be fantastic. <laughs> All right, awesome as always, man. We'll chat tomorrow. All right, take care. You too. There is Corey Sarich. Really looking forward to, to chatting with him after every Flames game this season. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. What about the opposition tonight? We'll get a look at how things are going to shake down with the Canucks with a big, big piece coming back into the lineup. Brendan Batchelor joins us next here on Hockey Central at noon. <laughs> Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Continuing on a Flames game day, Calgary against Vancouver, round two tonight. Six o'clock warm-up, seven o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I think we've covered the Calgary side of things pretty well over the last uh, 48 minutes. Now time to get a look from the Vancouver side of things with Brennan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks, uh, here on Hockey Central at noon. Brennan, how are you today, sir? Good, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Um, obviously, some big news out of Canuckland. We'll, we'll get to the lineup changes tonight in a second, uh, but do just want to go back to, to Saturday and your thoughts on how the Canucks handled things against the Flames in a, a 3 nothing loss on Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, it was a disappointing performance for Vancouver, to be sure. They didn't generate enough offensively, and special teams were the difference in the game. Anytime your penalty kill gives up three goals and your power play can't get the job done for you, uh, the man advantage for the Canucks is now 0 for 11 to start the year through three games. Uh, you know, you're not going to win many hockey games. So, you know, special teams have been the big storyline in Vancouver coming out of the loss to the Flames, but the penalty kill and the power play will both have to be better going forward. And tonight, if the Canucks want to find a way to split this two-game set with the Flames. The big news for today, JT Miller is back in the lineup. Um, I'm assuming that will help out the, the aforementioned power play issues, but also going to just help out overall. How big of an impact is it having JT Miller back in the lineup? Yeah, he was their leading scorer last year, so certainly they missed him. 
to start the season as he had to sit out due to COVID protocol. Uh, but but he's back now, and you know certainly he's a big impact player in his own right. We saw that in the playoffs as well. Uh, but one of the, the biggest impacts I think it has for the Canucks is you're right. They get the proper personnel back on that top power play unit, but it has a trickled out effect through the lineup where Travis Green is now able to put players back in the roles that he had slated for them to start the year. So, you know, Niels Hoaglander has been playing a lot on the line with Horvat and Pearson. They had moved him off that line a little bit to try and get Pedersen and Besser going the other night against the Flames. Uh, so he'll be able to move back there. Jake Vertanen has been, uh, you know, somewhat miscast in a top six role on his off wing here to start the year because Miller wasn't there. And, you know, because of the Canucks' lack of depth up front, they didn't really have a built-in replacement. So, you know, you get Miller back, that's huge. But, you know, you could move Vertanen back down to the third line. We expect Zach McEwen will come out of the lineup. And, you know, it, it allows you to be a more dangerous team, you know, further down your lineup because of that. What what is like you mentioned Vertanen kind of slots back in, into his spot. Uh, obviously, a name that that Calgary hockey fans are going to be familiar with after his time with the Hitmen. Uh, he is a much discussed player on, on Canucks Twitter, from what what I can gather. What is kind of the the perfect role for Jake Vertanen on this team? Well, that, it's kind of hard to peg down, and that's why you know there's so much debate in in the Canucks fan base about him because he will have games where he looks like the guy that, you know, you saw with the Calgary Hitman, where he'll go end-to-end and score a beautiful goal and be noticeable every shift. The problem is that those games are too few and far between, so he'll show fans a taste of the kind of player that he could be, and so, you know, there's a segment of the fan base that gets very excited and says, oh, you've just got to give him opportunity in the top six, and he'll turn into that player more consistently. Uh, and then, you know, for my money, there's another segment of the fan base that has a more realistic take on it and says, you know, this is a guy that's been here for years, has never found a way to, to be that consistent player. And so where Travis Green has him slotted in right now is on the third line with Adam Gaudet and Antoine Roussel. And that's a line that they would like to be a, a third line that can help them generate offense because certainly scoring in their bottom six forward group was a real weakness for them last year. And you look at, you know, the strength of their top six as opposed to what they have at the bottom six. And so they need guys like Vertanen to produce offense, but at the same time with two young guys like Gaudet and Vertanen on the same line, Travis Green is often loath to trust them in defensive roles or with defensive zone starts and situations like that. So it's not necessarily an ideal spot for Vertanen. He's a guy that needs to continue to route out his game as a young player in the league so that he can be more responsible defensively and therefore gain the trust of the head coach to get more ice time and more opportunity so that he can fill off those offensive skills that fans in Calgary will remember from his time in the Western Hockey League. Uh, Niels Hoglander is a player that I was fascinated to to watch here in these matchups with the, the Flames and, and watch him all season long. I don't think he's a player that many had penciled in beside Bo Horvat before training camp started, but basically played his way onto that line. Now that we're a few games into the NHL career, what have you made of his play so far? Yeah, I've liked it. Um, you know, he had one sequence in the Thursday game against the Oilers where he failed to get the puck out and Edmonton ended up scoring. Um, so, you know, as a young player, that people are watching closely, things like that are going to be magnified. But I, I, I've liked his compete level as a very small guy in the NHL. 
you know, he, he really gets in in the puck battles and, and does a good job of helping the Canucks maintain possession. He's aggressive on the forecheck, and, and he works on the back check too, which is something that, you know, Travis Green admitted he was uh, not concerned about but interested to see how Hoaglander would do defensively because, you know, coming over from the Swedish Hockey League, you know, scoring the lacrosse goal at the World Juniors last year and being sort of a highlight reel offensive player in Europe, you knew that the the, the offensive skill set was going to be there. The questions around him coming into the year were more about, you know, would he be reliable enough in a 200-foot role to be able to stick in the NHL and, and play up the lineup. But it seems like the coaching staff and management had him penciled in on that second line with Horvat before training camp. He started day one of camp there, and he never – left that line and if he can prove to be a a consistent player that fits in in the top six and can produce offense as well then it it kind of makes a built-in replacement for Tyler Toffoli who of course left in free agency to go to the Montreal Canadiens and who many people in the fan base would have preferred the Canucks find a way uh, to extend and keep in that top six mix if Hoaglander can come in and be a built-in replacement then it maybe removes a bit of the sting of losing Toffoli in the offseason. How much of Holander going on that line is having kind of Bo Horvat be able to be able to to mentor them? Uh, a couple of different types of players. Um, I don't know how many lacrosse type goals Horvat's tried in his life, um, but a, a dude that from just from the outside, I could watch him play hockey all day long. Love everything about his game. But how much of this now is uh, kind of the coaching staff saying to Horvat, like, "Hey, we think there's something with this kid. Can you kind of guide him along for us?" I definitely think that's a part of it. You know, Horvat really took his game to another level in the bubble in Edmonton uh, in the summer and, you know, scored 10 goals in the playoffs, was leading the playoffs in scoring when the Canucks were eliminated in terms of goals. Uh, So he has really continued to develop into that leader now that he's got the C on his jersey. And uh, I think that is a part of it, that, you know, this is a young guy that he could help bring along. Uh, I also think it probably indicates a change in the way that the Canucks want to deploy their forward lines going forward. And we haven't seen this yet this season because JT Miller's been out of the lineup. But Horvat has traditionally been a matchup center that plays against the top lines of opposing teams. And it makes me think that if Travis Green is willing to put a young, inexperienced player on that line, that he may look to trusting Miller, Pedersen, and Besser to play head-to-head in matchup roles like that against the top lines of opposition. So, you know, the Connor McDavid's or the Austin Matthews of the world here in this all-Canadian division. So that's something that once the Canucks get back on home ice and Travis Green has the last change and they're able to welcome some of these teams into their own building, we'll get a better idea of how he wants to do that going forward. Um, but, but certainly Horvat can play a mentorship role for Hoaglander, and I would imagine that's what the coaching staff hopes for him by putting him on that line. What about Travis Green? Uh, obviously, the, the contract is up at the end of the season, and I, I can't imagine um, many people are hoping that he just walks out the door. It feels like he's done uh, a fantastic job with this Canucks team so far. Well, what do you make of the, the whole Travis Green situation right now? Yeah, I, I'm personally shocked that we're talking – about a Travis Green contract extension that still needs to be done after the start of the season. Uh, This is an organization that absolutely has to get him signed. He has been nothing uh, but but a great head coach and a great player developer for this organization. And and to me, it's, it's, you know, unbelievable that you've gone into the last season of his deal without having him extended. Now, you know, certainly the pandemic and the economics around that are, are impacting the conversation there, I'm sure. 
But, you know, the potential risk of Travis Green walking out the door at the end of the season and heading down the I-5 highway to Seattle to be the head coach of your new closest rival uh, geographically in the Seattle Kraken is so terrifying to me that, you know, to me, they, they have to get him signed. It should have been done yesterday. Uh, and I would hope from a Canuck perspective that they can get that sewn up as soon as possible because it is a storyline around this team too. And it's good going to continue to be something that uh, the, you know Jim Benning gets asked about and Travis Green gets asked about and is sort of uh, hanging over this season for the Canucks until they get him locked in, um, preferably sooner rather than later, just because of the fact that you know he's a well-thought-of young coach around the league that would have no lack of opportunities on top of Seattle, potentially, if indeed he does go to market at the end of the year. Brendan, this was fun, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. And uh, I, I'm sure you've noticed the Flames and Canucks see a lot of each other. So I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. There is Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, joining us again on the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, a much more complete performance on Saturday night from the Calgary Flames. How can they continue to grow as they take on the Canucks tonight? Plus, a look back at the divisional round in the NFL. A very busy 1 o'clock hour coming at you next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. 